Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. like that the final hour is here on this tuesday edition of hot mike with hutton with row across the outkick network we've got the director of untold johnny football available now on netflix ryan duffy will join us in a couple of minutes and uh coming up further headlines across conference expansion and more and coaches that are a bit concerned about the direction of college football and well the haves and the have-nots uh, speaking of conference expansion, uh, Ross Dellinger tweets out that in the ACC, the conversation goes beyond Stanford and Cal. A third school, SMU, is in consideration. That through Yahoo Sports. Uh, administrations are uh, across the ACC are expected to review financial models of all of the scenarios, adding all three or only the Pac-12-2 to the football model here. SMU has an extremely wealthy alumni base. Yes. Extraordinarily wealthy. That And they're motivated. That could possibly negate the loss of a few years of distribution in order to get into the right conference situation. And that's what is also being reported by Ross Dellinger, that they would forego a couple of years of distribution to do that. Chad, ESPN has announced they are – officially announcing a partnership with Penn, Penn Gaming, uh, the once, once owner of the Barstool brand. Dave Portnoy has called one of his emergency press conferences to announce that he has purchased back the Barstool name, knowing that Penn was talking with ESPN about creating ESPN Bet, which is going to be their betting hub across their platform. And now Portnoy has Barstool and the brand. That was always going to be, uh, you, you think of Barstool, you think of Portnoy, uh, just like Outkick and Clay. And the direction it was headed was Penn was going to have Barstool and Portnoy was going to be up with whatever uh, the, the deal is. I think 2025 is when his deal was up. And now you're still going to think of Portnoy and Barstool because the show goes on. Well, and Mincy was fired because of Penn Entertainment. And they were very vocal about yeah. that. That was not their decision. Dave Portnoy tried to talk the powers that be at Penn out of it. They wouldn't hear it. We had Mincy on the show to discuss. Uh, Mincy's now going to be back in the fold at Barstool. This is great news for fans of Barstool. That's a true brand. Love it or hate it, Barstool is a brand. Yes. And um, Dave Portnoy is a big part of that brand. So him having sole ownership of it, I think is a good thing for Barstool now moving forward. We're getting some different conflicting stories on this. Dave Portnoy is painting it as, you know, I'm, I'm going to die with it. I'm never selling it again. He even says, I'm going to give it to Dan Katz uh, or someone else that I trust or their kids. I'm, I'm not going to give this up or sell it ever again. Variety, Brian Steinberg there has written a story saying uh, the headline is ESPN shoves Barstool aside to strike sports betting pact and says ESPN muscled aside the upstart Barstool Sports 
and struck a major sports betting pact with operator Penn Entertainment. That this was more of an ESPN decision to big boy barstool away from Penn and partner on this sports what, book. So what Penn is doing, Chad, according to uh, Bryce Stein, Brian Steinberg, our, our friend at Variety, um, Penn is going to pay $1.5 billion in cash to ESPN over a 10-year term. And then they will grant ESPN approximately $500 million of warrants to purchase approximately 31.8 million Penn Common shares. Um, that, and that will be in exchange for media marketing and brand and other rights. Uh, more or less, what they've done is they have, uh, Penn has a 10-year agreement where they're paying the rights fee of NFL broadcast on ESPN for one year for this, the $1.5 billion, just to put that in perspective. Yeah, and... Um... This is interesting from Andrew Marshall, who should get on the show at some point yes. from the New York Post, says that the Pat McAfee deal comes into further focus with this ESPN bet pin deal. Says that McAfee is going to be an, a huge part of the sports betting angle on ESPN bet with this deal. Which, look where he comes from. The pack- he comes from FanDuel, right? Yeah. Where he was doing his show. The pact allows Disney to take part in the growing national interest in legal wagering without taking bets directly on its own platforms. So they're still funneling things back through Penn, but it's they're 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 positioning this like a partnership and a licensing deal almost, you know, a, a advertising and promotion. But the fact that the Barstool brand is not attached to it is the story, because that was. What Penn was attaching itself to, now they're jumping and going. Well, to ESPN. and what's more valuable for sports betters, the Barstool brand or the ESPN brand? We're going to find out. ESPN's a much bigger brand, nope. yep. but you know what's what's going to be more powerful? Clearly, Penn Entertainment believes it's ESPN. Uh, there is a brand of Johnny Manziel and Johnny Football. Well, he's a brand unto himself. That's right. Uh, Netflix, the the untold series. Untold Johnny Football, available right now on Netflix. And the director of Untold Johnny Football is Ryan Duffy, who joins us now on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Ryan, thank you for the time. Uh, whenever you, you found out that uh, you're directing, did you think, man, uh, can this be a, a series instead of a, a, a one-episode one deal? Because there's so many different lanes and directions you could take with Johnny Football. Yeah, there certainly were, and appreciate you guys having me on. Um, it was a blast, man. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We started, I actually started on this one because I had done the uh, the Manti Teo doc for the last season of Untold, so obviously was spending a lot of time digging through the archive of 2012 college football season, and then even more specifically, the Heisman ceremony. Um, and, you know, obviously caught a lot of Johnny in there and sparked that curiosity that you naturally get of like, man, what did really happen there, right? And if you're going to make an hour-long documentary that's going to consume the better part of the last year of your life, which it has, uh, you better have a real actual driving question. You better genuinely be trying to answer something for yourself because if if you don't have that individually, it's certainly not going to translate to an audience. And I was genuinely curious to get to the get to the bottom of what really happened with Johnny Football. Well, and I, I had a chance to watch it this morning. Uh, terrific. It's an hour and 15 minutes that feels like 25, 30 minutes. It's so fast-paced. Um, one big thing that I noticed in this, and, and Johnny is a big part of it, right, and in, in being interviewed. He's very honest. I, I never really got the sense, though, of 
how he's doing right now, right? And, and, and when you're, I'm, you kind of look into everything in something like this. I'm looking into his eyes, looking at his physical appearance, everything else. What was your sense in, in directing this, Ryan, of how Johnny, not Johnny football, Johnny Manziel is right now? Yeah, it's a great question. And we actually kind of went out of our way. I appreciate you saying that in a way, because we went out of the, you have to resist an urge not to to tie things up in a little bow, right? Because that's a it's kind of the polite thing to do for someone on a one-to-one level, but B in the craft, right, of documentary storytelling in act one, act two, act three, and act three, you want some resolution to the action you've you've just followed along with. And Johnny's 30, right? He turned 30 over the course of production. Um, And I just don't think that ending is there yet, nor should it be, of course. And I think, you know, the events of Johnny Football Mania in 2012, and then, you know, probably even more resonant, the events of Cleveland and everything since, I think he's still processing that, right? I, I, I think to sit here and be like, oh, Johnny, that's all in the rear view. Johnny is amazing. I mean, he's, He's great. He's in a much better place. I, he was so wonderful with his time. Um, and I know he's got a lot of great stuff going on in his life, but I just don't think it would be um, an honest portrayal of a guy who's been through what he's been through in the last decade, just to be like, oh, he's out on the other side and that's done and dusted and, you know, just in the history books. I think he's processing that, you know, on a pretty regular basis. And I think he's honest about that in the film. So we want it to be, if he can be honest about the fact that it's a work in progress, I, I really wanted the film to be comfortable with an- landing in a bit of ambiguity, you know? Ryan Duffy, our guest, the director of Untold Johnny Football. When did you know he was going to open up about his suicidal thoughts and the plan to go on a spending spree and a, a binge uh, and then use that as an excuse to himself to end his life? Did you know ahead of time or did that happen in the moment? That happened in the moment. Caught me by surprise, actually. Um, and at our next break, I even kind of, you know, grabbed a minute with him. We were just in a rented house. That interview in particular was in Los Angeles. We were in a rented house and he went out to have a smoke and just went out by the pool. And I was like, hey, man, I, you know, I just want to make sure you're good. I didn't know that had happened. And, you know, I, I you're in a room with other people, right? Like the, it looks like just him in the frame, but there's a bunch of crew people around there. And typically if I know an interview is going into deeply personal territory, we'll try to clear the room a little as much as you reasonably can, um, just down to the bare minimum of crew members who need to be there for that. We hadn't done that because I didn't know that's where it was going. So I went to check with him and and say, hey, we can clear the room a bit more if you want to get into that. And and he was, I don't know that he really planned it either. Um, I think that's just kind of where the, the story took him and the moment took him. And he was, as you say, being about as transparent, as honest as, as anyone can be, certainly as I can hope for as the director of a documentary. These interviews in particular for Untold, we try and hang our hat on some some pretty heavy lift interviews, right? We we put people in that chair and it generally takes the better part of three, four days and they're long eight, 10 hour days of kind of working through, especially with athletes, you guys know this. A lot of the first answers you get are, not to say canned, I, I, I don't mean that in any kind of insulting way, but 
you go through that much media training and you got responses. You got yes. your natural answers that kick in and you got to kind of knock those down or at least let them get out and then go back and then do it again. And you end up throwing out the first few hours because it feels rehearsed. But this was toward the end of one of our pretty long days. And I think Johnny just kind of was was telling the story as it happened and landed there somewhat to everyone's surprise. But I'm, I'm grateful that he did. Is the key, uh, maybe not the key, the, the downfall is a better way to describe this, of his pro career compared to what happened at Texas A&M where he's one of the greatest college football players ever uh, and how he took over. Is it that the Browns had Johnny Football as the face of the franchise and you could get away with that in college, but Johnny Manziel needed to be the face of the franchise, not Johnny Football. Is that really what it came down to? Yeah, man. I, I think that's a big part of it, right? We, I looked for a satisfactory single answer to that question, mostly because I wanted to know, right? And there's a lot of theories of the case. Um, I think the honest thing, which isn't as satisfying as it's as as with most things, it's multifactorial, right? I think there was Johnny will tell you, no matter what, he wasn't ready for the NFL at that time. He had kind of fallen out of love with the game. And I think so much of what Johnny loved about football was his teammates, the camaraderie, right? Johnny is a, a social person at his core. He loves people. He loves to be around people. He says it at the end of the film. He says, I was a frat boy. My frat just happened to be the football team. I think that's really actually a really apt thing. And I think you can kind of treat football that way at AM for him it was still coming so easy he was catching people by surprise he was kind of playing this you know it's a style of quarterback that we see a little bit more now he didn't see it as much then and I think it was fun and easy and natural and it was it was just hanging out with his friends and playing football on Saturdays I think when it becomes a job and the guys in that locker room are 10 years older than you and they got kids and maybe someone resents that you're, you know, you're on the billboard and they've been toiling away for eight years or whatever it is. Yeah. That's not you and your boys hanging out and playing footballs on the weekend. That's a job and you're a professional and their expectations attached to that big salary and that, that draft position. I just think it, it, it changed football for Johnny on an individual level, but then you get into the, the other side of the kind of game theory on this, which is like, well, how complicit are the Browns, right? And, and that organization, what could they have done differently? What could that coaching staff have done differently to put Johnny in a position to succeed? I think there's probably enough blame to go around to, to uh, uh, all variety of folks who were involved in that. And I thought Johnny's dad did a good job of asking the question about could Texas A&M have done more within that program to help his son? Kevin Sumlin uh, was not a part of the documentary. Did he give you a reason as to why he did not want to take part? He did, and I, I reached out to Coach Sumlin. I, I know he's busy. I believe he's coaching in the USFL, perhaps. Um, could have just been that. Uh, he responded initially, but then kind of just the line went quiet. And and honestly, I, I was so happy that we wound up getting Cliff. Um, I first reached out to Cliff. It was shortly after, you know, that widely reported when he left Arizona and uh, there was that whole national news story, like, Oh, Cliff bought a one-way ticket to Thailand or whatever that was. <laughs> I was like, Oh, there goes my Kingsbury interview then. But, uh, fortunately, or, or you're Cliff, going to Thailand. Yeah. That was what I was angry. <laughs> my production budget couldn't quite manage it, but yeah, that was my idea. 
Um, but no, Cliff, Cliff came back. We were so happy to get him. And I think he was able to provide a little bit of the perspective into, into those years that we were hoping to get from whether it was, it was Coach Sumlin or, or Cliff. Um, so I was grateful to get him. Uh, he, he's great. Uh, highly recommend the documentary. And we got to get you on another time just to talk about your trip to North Korea with Dennis Rodman. Uh, that could be an entire hour on the show. I'd, I'd love to hear behind-the-scenes stories about that. Good work with this, and uh, I, I hope our audience goes and, and watches. It's really good. Very much appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me yeah, on. Ryan, we really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us, and hopefully we can do this again soon. Ryan Duffy there, the director of Untold Johnny Football. Uh, the We won't give away all the behind-the-scenes stories, but the one about the private workout with the Browns prior to the draft is – there's Incredible. a good Texans story in it also. There's a lot of, of greatness behind the scenes that uh, just detail that you could have assumed but did not fully know. And the whole story about him and his buddy uh, and their, their falling out was something I never knew about. That's interesting. So definitely check it out. Eli Drinkwitz on the direction of, of college athletics. He speaks up. And Dave Portnoy has spoken on now reowning the Barstool brand. That's next on Hot Mike. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, uh, the Penn Entertainment and Barstool business model is over. Dave Portnoy has now gotten back the uh, the Barstool brand all to his own. That had an emergency press conference and, and said as much. Uh, that's because Penn Entertainment and uh, Penn Gaming, they now have an ESPN partnership for 10 years uh, through the, the branding aspect of partnering together. They will house all of the, the betting structure of what ESPN is building, which will be an app that is going to be called ESPN Bet. And the app will be promoted on all ESPN plat platforms and, and shows and, and content. Now, two things I'm thinking about with this. Number one, keep in mind the whole Mincy firing. What came out of that is, is twofold. Number one, 
they are look their stock price really dropped stock price up wall street journal right now pin entertainment stock surges after espn partnership and number two they were worried about receiving the uh, permits and licensing from even the state of massachusetts keeping those because of their relationship with barstool uh portnoy mentioned that whenever he was announcing that Mincy had been let go and it wasn't, he didn't have anything to do with it. Well, now you're partnered with ESPN and if you're really wanting to take over a state by state nationwide branding aspect where you're going to be in any state that's legal to place a bet on an app, this is the model that they're choosing to go with instead of fighting the battle that they claim was there, even from the new England area because of the branding partnership with barstool yeah it's um it is interesting how it's being framed on either side of this right it is first off i think for the barstool perspective for their brand it's a big win because it makes them less corporate because everything they did they had to worry about remember the whole mincy thing we had to worry about license that we were yeah trying to get in certain states and they weren't going to do it. They're going to pull our license for this. So they can be more of themselves now with all of this, but now ESPN in the licensing game and the sports bet sports book game coinciding with Pat McAfee, who's clearly going to be some big part of this also. It's, it's interesting news and you're right, Hutton, that they, when Penn Entertainment bought Barstool, they were at an all-time high in what it was worth. And now it looks like Portnoy and whatever deal they cut bought back pretty low based on stock price. Well, so I've got the, the detail of the Wall Street Journal here. First, what they're doing is they have, the, they have the trademark of ESPN Bet for a 10-year agreement. Penn does. They're just flipping the name of the... They're taking the Barstool Sportsbook app and turning it into ESPN Bet. It's going to be the same technology, the same app, based on the way this is uh, uh, reading here. Number two, the company, Penn Entertainment, simultaneously announced the sale of all of its Barstool Sports common stock to Portnoy in exchange for certain non-compete and other restrictive covenants. Penn will also have the right to 50% of the gross proceeds received by Portnoy in any subsequent sale. That according to Penn Entertainment. Hence why Portnoy is saying, I will never sell. Yeah, because half of the gross yeah. profit goes straight to Penn Entertainment. And so I believe him. Yeah. I mean, He's not selling. He's not giving half back to Penn Entertainment. And I think it's pretty easy to see that that relationship was fractured based on how public him, Erica Nardini, others all yeah. went at Penn saying we completely disagree with their decision. Well, they, they, they acquired the brand and then didn't lean into the brand. Right. You know? And it is a brand. Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a strong brand, and it's made stronger now that everyone's going to look at Dave Portnoy and know that he's behind it, and he's the one calling all the shots. Well, and it would have been difficult for Portnoy not to move on and do something else, to start whatever, uh, Barstool 2.0, whatever you want to call it, and for Penn Entertainment to still have that and it, it's the, the the monetization of that isn't what it would have been with Portnoy there because Portnoy is Barstool, right? Do you, like it's, yeah, it's you, just a different vibe to it. 
Do you think if you worked for Barstool, people would confuse you with Dave Portnoy the way they do Clay Travis? <laughs> no. Just guys with beards? I don't beards? think so. I don't think All so. guys with beards look the same, apparently. That's what we're learning. Uh, Clay, I, I, I couldn't sign Portnoy's name the way I signed Clay's. I just yeah. put a big C in a line. No. That's, uh, it's like, uh, you know, if you're looking for autograph fakes on future episodes of uh, the, uh, the, the Vegas, uh, you've got the Vegas shows where you go in and try to figure out the fakes. Or maybe it's Antique Roadshow now. We'll, we'll Clay, we'll they're going to find I'm going to autograph Clay's books. So. They're going to find your fake uh, autographs yeah. you signed as Clay quickly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to autograph Clay's book soon. It's just C with a dash. Uh, Chad, Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, very vocal. He's one. Is there another coach like Eli Drinkwitz that is just a five or six win per season like ceiling? that is vo as vocal or as much out in the, the public space as he is. He's not afraid to put, not just uh, dip a toe in the water, but he'll jump in head first yeah. on any topic. Here is Eli Drinkwitz discussing the direction of college athletics. So any thoughts or uh, feelings about the current direction of college football right now um, with everything that happened yesterday? Hmm. I was really hoping nobody would ask me that question. Sorry. All right, I'm going to say it. I thought the transfer window, I thought the portal was closed. Uh, oh, that's just for the student athletes. The adults in the room get to do whatever they want, apparently. And it's... Um, you know, it's just sad that there's um, – look, I, I, my question is, did we count the cost? I'm not talking about a financial cost. I'm talking about did we count the cost for the student-athletes involved in this decision? What cost is it to those student-athletes? We're talking about a football decision. They based off football. But what about softball and baseball who have to travel cross-country? Do we ask about the cost to them? Do we know what the number one indicator of, uh, of symptom of, or cause of mental health is? It's lack of rest and sleep. Traveling in those baseball, softball games, you know, those, those people, they travel commercial. They get done playing at four. They got to go to the airport. They come back. It's three or four in the morning. They got to go to class. I mean, did we ask any of them? Are we going to look back? I, I don't worry at all about the game. The game is going to be strong. Football is going to be fine. We'll all figure it out. But did we consider the people that we are entrusted to? Did we consider the student athlete? Because then we're asking them to go out on their own to get NIL. We didn't say we're going to revenue share. We're not saying they're getting a piece of it. So that, that's the thing that's bothering me right now in this whole situation is we keep trying to limit what the student athlete can do, but then we act on our own. And uh, everybody's got their own reasons, um, uh, and, and I'm not questioning any of those. I'm saying as a collective group, have we asked ourselves, what's it going to cost the student-athletes? I saw um, on Twitter several student-athletes talking about one of the reasons they chose their school was so that their parents didn't have to travel. They chose a local school so that they could be regionally associated so their parents could watch them play and not have to travel. Did we ask them if they wanted to travel from the East Coast to the West Coast? Man, you know, I love the game. But every game that I coach, I look up in the stands and find my family. 
I make sure they can play. I make sure they can be there because that's what I'm doing this for. And, and you're talking about volleyball, baseball, softball, track. I mean, all, all those other sports, man, they don't get, they're not fortunate in, to travel like the way we do. Football will be fine. Football will be fine. Still, we count the cost of the collateral damage of everybody else. I don't know. I, only time will tell. But that is my biggest, like, looking at it going 24 hours after, say, did we really think about that? I don't think we did. Um, I don't think we did. Along those lines, a lot of people are connecting dots thinking. That yeah, that, there's Eli Drinkwitz, uh, Missouri head football coach. Um, I'm also th – look, I'm hearing him, and I agree with what he's saying. I wonder how many other coaches just in the SEC, let's just stick there, would echo what he just said. Or some of, some of the programs that have a massive pot to choose from with un, endless money, all the NIL and the collectives and everything else, all the portal information, are they leaning into it and thinking, well, either way we're going to win. Either way we're good. Meanwhile, Missouri's got the state law where, I mean, you can receive high school NIL if you commit in high school for an in-state institution to play college athletics. Um, I mean, did they, did they ask the state of Missouri, uh, legislators ask the high school athletes if they would prefer to just receive NIL and be able to go to any state for college? I mean, this can go much deeper but the problem is, Chad, uh, from a college sports perspective, all of the discussion is happening after the decisions have been made, not before. And that, that's the troubling part. There's been no leadership, and it led to this. Yeah, and to answer your first question, I, don't, I think most coaches just think about themselves and their own program. So most of the coaches in the SEC are looking around saying, nothing affects us. Texas and Oklahoma is coming in. We haven't added anyone else, so I don't really care. Right. I think if you honestly got the honest opinion, they're not thinking that deeply about it because they don't care about the softball team or the women's basketball team or the volleyball team or whatever. E Eli Drinkwitz is a smart guy, a bit more of a deep thinker, so he's thought a little bit more about it, and he gave a very good answer there on it. To me, it all goes back to one thing. The one thing is money, and Eli Drinkwitz is right. No one thought about two groups in making these decisions. One are the athletes – and the students, in all sports, not just football, and two are the fans. Fans didn't get a vote in this. Now, is football going to be okay? Sure. Football was always going to be okay. But is this ultimately what the fans wanted? Nick Saban did answer something a bit related to the fans, saying we didn't really give a lot of thought to regional rivalries or traditions in making these decisions. And he's talking specifically about the Pac-12 blowing up. Right. And that some big games now are no longer going to be conference games. And, oh, by the way, I don't even know what the Rose Bowl is anymore if it's not Pac-12 champion versus Big Ten champion on New Year's Day. That's what Nick Saban is saying. So everyone's looking at it a little bit differently. But all college football fans should know they don't care about you in making this. They're trying to get the most media money. And I think the student athletes, especially in the other sports, maybe not football, but in the other sports – you know now exactly where you stand. They don't, well, they don't care. Oh, they don't care about the football either because it, he's one of two coaches that I'm aware of that has mentioned revenue share, that, that, yeah. those two words. And if in terms of what they're really trying to do, that's at the, the heart of the issue. 
They're trying to receive the federal law that will cap the type of money, the, the amount of money that a, a student athlete can make through a revenue share before the revenue gets to a certain level where it's more of an NFL model, where the, the TV money, NFL players, for the salary cap, it's 49.5% of what they're getting through their media contracts. The, the top programs that are entering in these massive deals don't want to give a bigger piece of the pie than what they're already giving through NIL, through the portal, and through things that they're offering based on roster value. That's, that's the real thing. I, 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 everything else is happening because of the positioning of federal legislation capping certain revenue for the players. So not only, Chad, are they not asking the players or not caring, the athlete, they're also trying to do everything possible to not even let them be aware of what's going on. It's not about asking their opinion. They certainly don't want their opinion. They also don't want them to know that it's even being discussed until it happens. And at Drinkwitz and everyone, what, they can say what, they, what they've said at media days, but even by then, it's too late. Because you have to get to the table and start talking about this and planning things well in advance. It's not like you just snap your fingers and all of a sudden, you know, we have new teams in the Big 12 and the Big 10. Eli Drinkwitz is also saying something that would make it much easier on the coaches if it was a revenue share. The yes. coaches should want that. Why? Because it makes it simple in what each conference is selling as a baseline revenue all players will get in your program. It makes it easier to sell. Hey, everyone in the SEC is going to get this much. And then if you're a great quarterback – you're going to make this much on top of it because of NIL, because of your own name, image, likeness that you could get. So if you let the player share in the profits, that actually makes it easier on the coaches and gives them one less headache. Wow. And it, there are plenty of headaches. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jimbo Fisher has an opinion on where we are for college coaching, specifically in football, but across the board. Has it ever been more difficult than right now? Jimbo weighs in next on Hot Mike. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Rolling on, and uh, hopefully your afternoon is rolling into what's going to be a fun evening here on this Tuesday. John, uh, uh, John McClain brought up the Big 12 expansion and his thoughts on Colorado and different things. Meanwhile, the SEC has stayed status quo. They're adding, of course, Texas and Oklahoma, but Greg Sankey last month said, hey, we're already a super conference. We're, we're good where we are. Not even uh, rumors about them talking to anyone. No. Since this has all gone down. Nothing. Not, even with Florida State, nothing. What does he do? What is he saying right so now? So Greg Sankey uh, went on Paul Feinbaum this afternoon and said, uh, quote, a bit of a shot fired across the bow to Big 12, Big 10, ACC, everyone else. 
This is Greg Sankey. Quote, the SEC doesn't need to be in four time zones to generate interest on the West Coast or really across the globe. That from Greg Sankey. So there you go. No need to go across the country for the SEC to We've be long maintained the that. big uh, the big bad boy on the block in most sports. Look at the ratings. Yeah. Look at the viewership. Other than the NFL, the SEC is king. And oh, beyond and, that, and make, make beyond no mistake about State. it. When when you know we just played the Eli Drinkwitz clip, when he's talking about all that, that's also a very easy route for him to go to say Big Ten bad, SEC good. Because yeah. the SEC does still make geographic sense. Every state touches another one at, at this point. So it does, but the way his pause though before he was like, "Yeah, I'm going to should I talk this. about this?" Yeah, because I, I think Sankey would say, "Hey, don't say anything." Oh, just like he you would say with Kiffin, right? So I, I appreciate the the thought behind the answer instead of. Uh, we're just focused on the upcoming season. We're 17 yeah, days away. Yeah, because what they right? don't want is if the SEC adds Cal and Stanford, <laughs> or, then they go back yeah, and play exactly. those clips of them making fun of it. Exactly. Uh, Jimbo Fisher explains uh, the challenge of, of playing young athletes during the, the social media era. I just ask you, you know, looking back at last year, did you, did you play more freshmen than you wanted to, or were you playing so many freshmen because you needed well, to? It's a compromise. Some they were the, they were the best athletes. Some it was you had injuries and you had to. And then like you say, it's like Connor. You bring Connor in a situation when he's ready for a situation. You want to bring all freshmen when they're ready because what you never want to destroy in an athlete's confidence. You never want to put him in a compromising position. You say, well, he's got ability, but is he ready to play? And just because he's athletic doesn't mean he can play well. Just because he plays well doesn't mean he can play winning football. There's a difference. And you want to put those guys at those points when you feel they're ready and watching that by the consistency in which they play. Just because a guy does something, goes back to that philosophy, you don't practice it till you do it right. You practice it till you can't do it wrong. And there's guys who can make plays. There's guys on the street that can make plays. But how many times in a row can they do it? Can they do it when they're tired? Can they do it in the fourth quarter? Can they do it in the biggest moments? Can they do it and understand that the momentum changes in the game where you, where you have to really execute on, on every – you want to execute on every job, but understanding how to change the momentum of games. And so when you put a freshman in – has nothing to do with his ability. But now, if you're forced to, you're forced to. If you want, you want to put them where you think they can handle the situation because when they fail, it ain't failing like it used to be 30 years ago. They get destroyed. They get destroyed by y'all. They get destroyed by social media. They get destroyed by the fans. And whether you think that affects them or not, it does. It, it drastically does. And what they read about themselves, because that's their world today. So you can destroy a young player much faster than you can make him. And you got to be very careful. So you're talking about playing freshmen. You want to play them when you think they're ready to handle what you're asking them to handle that still allows you to win the game. Chad, you know who else it affects? Coaches. Yeah. Social media reaction. Of course. Uh, you know, as he's explaining this, I'm thinking. You don't well, want to be trending. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think they get more hate whenever they announce where they're going on social in high school when they're 16 and 17 years old. Uh, than now, you know, throwing an incomplete pass. Absolutely. And we could get into all the ills of social media and our society and sports and everything else, and there's a lot of them. I think, though, that athletes of 30, 40 years ago would gladly take that trade-off, considering what Texas A&M's last recruiting class made sure. in money. And yeah. guys who played at A&M 30 years ago couldn't get a part-time job and lived in the dorm and probably didn't make a lot of money, maybe had a couple hundred dollar handshakes here and there from some boosters, but that was about it. So there is some trade off there for a social media age and how much they can make now, especially with NIL. Well, and it's it, uh, the trade off, you know, is also like everything's out there in the, in 
for everyone to see. Yeah. Instead of being able to just keep things under wraps and take your visits and break the rules and no one's going to find out as long as you cover your tracks. I mean, Can, that's ultimately what, what look, is... It, th- what this, is this could unfortunately it's been the doom of some programs based well, on the this could paper unfortunately trail. cost you some NIL opportunities. But my advice to anyone that is genuinely being affected by social media as a college athlete, make your account private or get off of social media. If it's as bad as Jimbo Fisher says, then don't look at it or log out. Now again, I say that there's going to be some local company that may give you some money because you're going to post on Instagram or tweet about it. Or whatever. Hard to do that on a college campus, though, where you've got everyone. No, I, all, I, you know. I get it. But, I mean, hey, the, those girls want a friend request you. Make it private. <laughs> if you want to talk, if you want to meet dates and well, meet up with people, you can still do it and it, not have to see all the nonsense. Well, you, but by having the account, you can see all the nonsense. Just the hashtags and different things that you're going to follow, you know, at 2 a.m. You know, like that, that's... I, I, I've said this and, and also love, by the way, when he throws it at the media, that's always funny. Yeah. Joe, you guys are going to crush him too. Media's crushed coaches and players for a long time. Jimbo, yeah, like, he, it comes to your paycheck there. He's bud. throwing the media in because he's been listening and watching and reading the coverage of him at right. A&M. By well, the way, Petrino, he knows, he knows said what it's going to be with other pe- people trying to get his players too. When it goes bad, Petrino had a media availability and said, yeah, I've been calling the plays out here. Good. So, thankfully, it's not a Bill Belichick situation where the coordinator has to stay silent about what's going to happen on game day. I do, I do think... Hey, Paul Fein, uh, on Paul Feinbaum, sorry, Greg Sankey has spoken again, Hutton, and reiterated the point you made yesterday. Says college football should reexamine the expanded playoff due to realignment. Noted that we don't know how many football FBS conferences there's going to be in 30 to 60 days. Still supports the 12-team bracket, but we need to look at the designated spots versus well, at-large breakdown. Right. But, see, it benefits the SEC and the Big Ten to have more uh, at-large at large bids yeah. instead of automatic qualifiers. But in order to get everyone a part of the expansion, instead of saying, oh, we don't trust the SEC, we don't trust ESPN, uh, we don't trust the Big Ten, uh, we're going to have automatic bids. That way, every conference gets their payout. Everyone's a part of uh, the money-making business that is going to be this expanded playoff. And now it's a Power 4, not a Power 5. But you still have Tulane that would have been an automatic bid for being the highest-ranked non-Power 5 last year. I think they were 17th or 18th in the final poll. And they would have been the 12th seed. I really think it's a race between the Big Ten and the SEC to see who can be the first to get six of their teams into the 12-team playoff, right? Half the field. That's the goal. Let's get half the field in there, and then we'll be okay. Chad, I, I do good school, thinking about what Jimbo Fisher's saying, uh, it, what's happened at, uh, with P.J. Fleck at, at uh, Minnesota, other plots, uh, everywhere. It's, I don't, it's never been more difficult to coach. Basketball as well. Like it, it Just think of the, the, the money-making programs and – uh, the attention that those players receive and uh, the those that bow down to them and have until the, there's one instance where they don't and they either want to transfer or they're going to say that the there's a culture issue going on at programs. So, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher may want to be extremely critical of a player, but now he's got to think about, oh, maybe, you know, maybe the fan was too hard on this guy. So I've I got to take it easy on him today. That's crazy. And that's the world we're in now based on everything across the, the major college landscape. 
Not, you're not hearing much about terrible culture at a volleyball program. I mean, it, it comes up every now and then, but it's not, I mean, it's not an entire conference that we're seeing stories about in hoops and football from the Big Ten over the recent years. I think it, it also has something to do with the type of players you bring in, you know, and I'm not saying anyone that's affected by negativity on social media is weak-minded or anything. It can affect all of us at some at one point or another. Sure. And it can get to anyone at any point in time. So I certainly understand that, and coaches understand that with their players also. But I think there is a way, not necessarily to mandate it, but to instruct on how to utilize it. With social media, you talked about it's going to be hard if you're in college not to be on social media, right? There, There is a communication college. aspect to it. Yeah of people on campus that you can't be away from that if you want to live the full college experience, which is, I understand. And I think, you know, coaches probably understand too. Better to utilize it that way than utilize it as an avenue to find out. I wonder what our fan base thought about my drop touchdown catch in the fourth quarter of this game. Like, I, I think but, that there's a way to instruct on how to use it and when to use it that can be healthy or healthier than most. But a lot of the analysts, the co- the assistant coaches, the position coaches, they communicate through social, you know, with the player. Oh, yeah. And uh, it doesn't have to be like you're searching your name. It can be as, uh, one of your buddies that you follow is defending you, and they comment on a post, and then it shows up in your feed. And then you go down the, the rabbit hole of clicking on the original post. Well, and coaches should be able to handle it. I mean, the yes. thought is, you know, you're the paid professional right. adult. Like, you don't look at your mentions after a bad game or just hit it one time. Here's a little trick. Hit the app mentions one time and just scroll all the way to the top without seeing any of them after something bad happens, and you'll be a lot happier by not seeing it. Coaches know how to do that. They, they know how to utilize it just as a means to communicate with recruits, and that, that's how they're utilizing social media. I, I think – it comes with how healthy your program is, in large part, of how players handle it. And let's let's be honest with all of this. Texas A&M is not a healthy program under Jimbo Fisher. It was not a good environment with all those freshmen that came in, all the problems they had, all the defections out of that once-in-a-lifetime best class ever. And they're trying to regain that now. They're trying to become a solid program on solid ground again, but... It's going to take some work to get there. And he specifically mentioned one player, his quarterback. Yeah. That's what it's going to take to get back to what they what they were. Speaking of Johnny Football. Well, one quick note told. on Johnny Football. That dude didn't watch any film ever. I know. It's amazing and- to me that in 2012, in the SEC, a guy of his size – Against Saban. Could dominate to that level without ever having watched a single bit of film. I mean, there was a part in it with the Browns that the GM would call the agent, and and the agent said they'd track his iPad. He had 0.0 hours during a week of film study on his iPad. He's going out in disguise to party. Yeah, and Manziel was bragging about it, showing the camera zero. This is how much film I watched in the NFL. Now, it showed the NFL. He sucked. But in college, yeah. the dude won a Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Like, that is a great advertisement for, man, this game is simpler than people make it out to be at times. Simpler, but also, like, just things you can get away with uh, based on, you know, the, the bubble that you're in 
for the college program, you know, yeah. in College Station. You know, it, for all the talk about, you know, it, the jokes are there's a cult. You know, I don't know how to describe College Station, but here's what to expect, Hutton. Here's what to expect with her. It actually is exactly that description. But when you're there, it's cool. It's awesome. Yeah. But it is, it's your, co your typical college town where everything stays there and they protect their own. It is not a ringing endorsement for Kevin Sumlin and Cliff Kingsbury and their handling of Johnny Manziel. I'll, I'll say that. They were very much, let this dude do whatever he wants as long as he keeps making plays, and they do not care and he made about them, off man. the field. And he made a lot. He made them. Uh, Mike Vrabel, head coach of the Titans, uh, announced to the, the local media here yesterday that he is going to let the assistant head coach, uh, Terrell Williams, who's also the defensive line coach for the Titans, act as the head coach in their first preseason game this weekend uh, starting on Friday, their travel day, and then Saturday in Chicago. Uh, this is not unheard of uh, in terms of getting reps. A lot of the time, though, uh, you will hear this, Chad, from the offensive perspective, where you have a run game coordinator who is actually calling plays, not the play caller in the regular season, to get reps. This is a great way for Terrell Williams to just know uh, that he's getting the reps, but others to know ahead of time instead of whenever he has the job interview down the road. He has been described a lot like Arthur Smith, another position coach that ends up being the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Back at it tomorrow. Hope you'll join us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, 3 o'clock Eastern on Outkick.